Morning, church. Hope. Hope. One of the most powerful words in our language. The word hope. Hope helps us to keep going when times get a little tough. Hmm. It's a force that energizes us with excitement and anticipation as we look forward to what the future might hold. Hope gives us a reason to get out of bed each morning and a reason to live out each day of our lives. Hope's very, very important. Hope can make molehills out of the mountains in our lives and it can change our problems into possibilities. Hope gives us strength and courage to live confidently, to live intentionally. Hope. Hmm. It's been said that a person can live uh, 40 days without food, four days without water, about four minutes without air, but only about four seconds without hope. Hope, extremely important to us. So where does it come from? What's it all about? What is hope? I've wrestled with a definition that makes sense to me. And so we need to start from the same place in order that we might journey together to the same destination. We call that here at Southside developing a common language so that when we use a word or a phrase, we're all in agreement or an understanding of what that actually means. Because if we don't start together, we're not going to end up together. Make sense to you? Okay. So what is hope? We've got some dictionary definition types things to start our series Hope as a noun, it's a feeling of desire for something and confidence in the possibility of its fulfillment. Hmm. It's a reasonable ground for this feeling. It's a thing, situation, or event that is desired. So we look at that in used in its noun form. It's a possibility. It's something that's desired. Now, as a verb, it means to look forward with, again, desire and reasonable confidence to believe to desire or trust, I don't know how you stack those three together, they don't really mean the same things, to believe, desire, or trust, or to feel that something desired may happen. Again, this whole idea of possibility. But what does the Bible, how does the Bible use that word? Does it match up with the dictionary definition and the common ways that we use the word hope in our everyday lives? Now, some would say hope is a passive, wimpy kind of word. It's just a wish. No more than that. We say, I hope everything turns out okay when we know it probably won't. Uh, We say, "Uh, well, just hope for the best when really inside we're expecting the worst. That's the way most of us function. We might say, oh, I hope it doesn't snow much this afternoon. Or or, I hope Matt LaFleur's got all the answers for the Packer offense, right? We use that word hope as kind of a wish. I do think it's a wimpy word. But the word hope is mentioned 129 times in 121 verses, different verses, in Scripture. The word hope in the Bible is a powerful word pointing to the future with a sense of confidence, knowing everything will turn out right in the end. Some of us are sitting here right now thinking, I'm not so sure this is going to turn out all right in the end. If we're honest with ourselves, we're wondering, I don't see any possibility how this thing's going to turn out all right. Huh. Huh. So, our hope, when it's found in the Lord, has the assurance 
that it will turn out all right in the end. We're going to kind of unpackage this thought. You see, if the basis of our hope is in a person, maybe the person sitting next to you, or a perfect set of life circumstances, or a wish that we hope as we blow out our birthday candles, we are going to be in for some bitter disappointment. And what staggers me is how many people within the church who claim to follow Jesus really are bitterly disappointed by life. Should it be this way? If our hope is in the Lord, then hope will never disappoint us. We're going to really lock down on Romans 5 next week, in which Paul says, hope never disappoints. How disappointed are you in your life right now? And the way certain things are going in your life? Hmm. Hmm. How do we put this together? Now, hope has a twin sister, and her name is Faith. What's the difference then between hope and faith? Faith is complete trust or confidence in something. Complete trust, confidence in something. We all are people of faith. Everybody believes something. Some of us here are followers of Jesus and we put our faith in Him. But we're all believing something. We all have faith in something, correct? Now, without faith, the Bible says it is impossible to please God, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the beginning of this venture. Where does that faith to believe God come from? Hearing the Word of God, but ultimately, where does faith come from? It comes from God. Faith comes from God. It's not even our faith. It's His faith, because God is faithful, you see. He is faith. He gives us the faith to believe Him. Now, hope is what I expect to happen based upon my faith in God. Stay with me. This might get a little confusing. Faith involves intellectual agreement to a set of facts, the trust in those facts, and action based on those facts. That's what faith is. I have to intellectually assent to certain facts. I have to then put my confidence in those facts, and then I have to act in a way that's based on those facts. Make sense to you? Pretty with tracking with me so far. Good, good, good. Now, faith without works is dead. Faith always comes first. Now, the question is, what kind of faith do we have? The Bible says the demons believe, have faith. Right? What's the difference between that kind of faith and the kind of faith that you say you have in your Jesus? What's the difference? Go ahead, you can answer. What? It's not saving faith. That's too Christianese for me. You've got to break this thing down. You're absolutely right, Todd. But break it down. I need it simple. A demon makes mental assent. They acknowledge the person of Jesus. What don't they do? They don't put their trust and confidence in him. You see, they got the first part right. They give mental assent to facts. And many people sitting in churches around the world today give mental assent to some facts. But James says that kind of faith doesn't do you any good. In fact, that's dead faith. 
You can know Jesus' story inside and out. That doesn't make any difference. He's not impressed. What are we doing with those facts? Do we have confidence in them, trust in them to the point of changing our actions, you see? So, biblical hope then takes the foundation that we built on faith and then it continues. And so hope is a confident expectation that comes from our faith. That makes sense to you, okay? This kind of makes sense to me. Hope looks forward to something that which is not yet. Hope is about something which is not yet seen. Here's how Paul would put it. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Makes no sense, right? We don't hope for what we already have. We have to hope in that which is unseen. Okay, that gets a little more complicated. But the tag team partners of faith and hope, they are unstoppable together. They're a winning combination. Faith and hope. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. Hope is looking forward to the reality of the future based on our faith as God has expressed it through His Son, Jesus. Hmm. Without faith, there is no hope. Without hope, there is no true faith. They are locked together. And so when I see a Christian who has no hope, I'm thinking, what's gone wrong here? Let me try to explain it this way. Years ago, we took our girls to Science Central in another state. About 25 to 30 feet in the air, there was this bicycle. I'm always up for trying new stuff. It's balanced by weights, and it goes around this really small track up above, right? In the center is a net to catch you before you fall to your death on the concrete floor below. Oh, this sounds like something I like to do. So I climbed the steps. I thought, I hope this thing doesn't fall. I hope this thing doesn't fall. So I asked the young man as he strapped me in, has anyone ever fallen? He said, not yet with a smirk on his face. <laughs> okay, but by faith, I got on the bike and I started pedaling around, right? And then my hope became reality because of the faith that I exercised as I went around on the bike. I lived to tell about it. woo right? But life is like that journey, is it not? We hope this is going to happen. I hope I don't fall. I hope this makes sense to you. <laughs> You see, real hope isn't like a lottery ticket that you scratch off and you hope you win. For those of you that enter that kind of into that stuff, it doesn't work that way. With Jesus Christ, is a sure, sure thing. Absolutely, you can count on it. The symbol for hope used by ancient Christians was the anchor. The anchor we just sang about it, and it's so true. This is because hope in Jesus is a sure thing that holds us when the storms of life come against us. And so we're going to go over this verse again next week, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. We, that's followers of Jesus, who have fled to him for refuge, can have great confidence as we, hope, as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's what we just sang, all right? My hope is built on nothing less. Yes, it's the anchor for our souls. And if we come across as hopeless, we have no anchor. What happens when there's no anchor? We're going to be in big trouble. In two weeks from today, I'm going to be talking to you from Acts 27 about a shipwreck and what they did with the anchors. Right? It's kind of a cool story. But this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Now, I want to leave you with a couple heaping helpings of hope. First one, God is a hope dispenser. Again, we're just laying the groundwork here. Just laying some groundwork. 
Here's what Paul wrote. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the source of hope. As we are filled with God, hope should be coming out of us when storms of life attack and overwhelm us. My question is, what's coming out of us when the storms of life are overwhelming us? God is the source of hope. He fills us with himself. Therefore, what comes out should be that. Oftentimes, it's quite the opposite, right? So where is the disconnect? What's happening here? What's going on? Stay tuned. 1 Timothy 1.1 1, 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. If you are a Jesus follower, Jesus gives you hope. Now, understand this. God is the source of hope. Jesus gives us hope. So I'm wondering what in your life is happening right now that seems just a tad hopeless. Yeah, life is like that. Oh, it's all kinds of things, right? So God is the source of hope. Jesus is the giver of hope. So it's really like father, like son. They're kind of the same, aren't they? Because they are, right? All right? So Jesus was a walking, talking hope dispenser. Just read the Gospels. He's a walking, talking hope dispenser, right? He awakened hope in so many from his first recorded sermon in his hometown of synagogue. And wasn't that cool to go to Nazareth just a couple of weeks ago and see uh, that mock-up kind of synagogue there, that tiny little place? It's just a tiny, tiny little place where he went back home to his own people. Huh. Here's what Scripture says. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him by the assistant. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Now tell me if these aren't words of hope. Here he is beginning his ministry, his public ministry. So what does he lay on him, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. We just sang that, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Are those hopeful words? Are you kidding me? For a people in bondage, for a people suffering greatly under Roman domination, spiritually from Satan, these are words of tremendous hope. So as he began his public ministry, these are words that he spoke, that began to birth hope within people. Now, this one didn't have such a good outcome, right? They said, ah, ah, when he sat down, he said, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Kill him, kill him. This is just little Jesus, what is he doing, right? But from the very beginning to one of the last things he said on the cross, The thief turned to him and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today, in fact, just a few minutes, you're going to be with me in paradise. So from beginning to end of his three plus years of earthly ministry, there's just such great 
hope and everywhere in between, from fishermen who couldn't get a bite to lepers who had lost all hope to a paralytic man on a mat and a man born blind to a widow weeping for a dead son to one of his followers who denies him and rejects him from the sick to the self-righteous to the sinner. He put hope in the hearts that were hopeless. That's what he did. He is the giver of hope. Jesus cast a vision for a better kingdom. He captured the imaginations of people, and he did it using hope. Jesus' life actually, to me, painted a picture of what hope is really like. Hope for today and the hope of heaven for tomorrow. Hope for right now and then the hope ultimately of heaven. He's still giving hope today. He is the hope dispenser. He's a walking, talking hope dispenser, and he's right here in this room. And I don't know who needs hope today, but I do. I do. And he's right there to fill us with hope, if we will receive it. Secondly, hope shines brightest when life is the darkest. Jen, nice job. You nailed that one. Hope shines brightest when life is the darkest. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about uh, how we get and sustain hope. Some of you aren't going to like what I have to say next week. I'm telling you right now. It's okay. Because it's not my words. It's the Bible, right? But for today, Psalm 39. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Ooh. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My hope. My only hope. It's in you. Now, what's happening here? The author of the psalm was David. He'd been hurt by life. He'd been hunted. He had been hounded. He had been falsely accused. He had been openly ridiculed by those around him this season of his life. But when things were darkest and seemingly hopeless, he confesses, my hope is in you, Lord. My life, man, it could end tomorrow, but my hope is in you. My hope is in you, Lord, my strength is... Okay, I know I'm scared. Okay, good. <laughs> Now, here's something from Michael Medved. Wouldn't recommend reading him, but it's called The Plague of Pessimism. He's a film critic. The most deadly epidemic menacing children today is not AIDS, gang violence, or teen pregnancy. It's a plague of pessimism. Tens of millions of young Americans are feeling their patience tried, their faith challenged, their hope undermined. Hmm. This plague's main symptom is a national orgy of whining and self-pity. The deepest problem isn't that children will imitate the behavior they see in their screens, though imitation sometimes does occur. Much more dangerous is the underlying message of hopelessness conveyed on these ugly images, a message that encouraged both self-pity and fear. Uh, unfortunately, that has crept into our culture, right? So that this plague of pessimism has now spilled into the church where it has no business being. Lyle Schaller, the guru of church consultants, says the number one problem in the church today is a lack of hope. Now, once there's a lack of hope, then we've got all the whining and complaining that goes along with it, because that's what hopeless people do, right? 
Huh. Huh. Not real healthy. Not real healthy. So again, we're just laying some front groundwork here. Submarine became disabled, slowly sank to the bottom of the ocean. Immediately, they began a very extensive rescue operation. Divers attended the stricken vessel. They hadn't heard anything from it. But once they were able to reach the submarine from inside, came this message in Morse code, is there any hope? That's what they wanted to know. Is there any hope? Wow. Now I'm wondering, is there hope for you? Is there a hope for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for your job, for your future? Is there hope there? You can tap that message in Morse code. And some of us are doing that right now. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Does this God thing work? What's going on? So some blanks for you to fill in. When it's hopeless, we give up very little. When things are hopeless, we hoard, we pull in, we pull back, we circle the wagons. Contrast that. When there is hope, we give up a lot. We become generous. When I've got hope for things that I've not yet seen, I become a very generous, giving, caring person. When there's hope in my heart. Secondly, when it's hopeless, we look for excuses. We're blaming everybody and everything for our circumstances. Our life is filled with excuses because there is no hope. Contrast that. When there's hope, we look for ways to win. God, where are you? What are you going to do here? This is going to be cool. Can't wait to see what you do next, God. Come on. Come on. Thirdly, when it's hopeless, we're tired. We're tired physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We're just worn out. It's hopeless. Now, this hopelessness has become an anchor to our soul, and it pulls us down under. And we're just plain tired. We don't give a rip anymore. When we're hopeful, we are energized. Wow. God, what you got next? Can't wait to see it, right? Fourthly, when it's hopeless, we tend to abandon God's plan. I don't know why we as believers do this. When things get hopeless... We jump off the rail. Why are we doing this? He is the source of our hope. And instead of turning to him, we turn to everything and everybody else to try to fix what's going on in our lives. Contrast that. When there's hope, we follow God's plan. I'm following hard after God. Man, I've got such hope in what he can do. What he can do next. When it's hopeless, we hurt each other. We hurt each other. Hurting people hurt people. Hopeless People hurt people. That's the way it works. Okay? On the other side, we help each other when there's hope. We become very generous, very caring, very compassionate, and we like to help people. Hmm. Okay. Enough of that. Thirdly, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Coming back to that statement in just about 90 seconds. Years ago, there was a small Maine town that is in the state of Maine that stood in the way of progress. They were building a new power plant. In order to build the new power plant, true story, a dam would be built across the river and the town would be submerged. Make sense? Built a dam, water backs up, town goes bye-bye. 
An announcement years ahead of time gave the details of what was about to happen. Okay? During the time the dam was being built, all improvements stopped. All improvements stopped. No painting, no landscaping, no road repairs, no cleanup. Day by day, the town just kind of fell apart as it decayed in front of their eyes. A long time before the waters came, a long time before people actually moved out, hope was lost, and it showed. And it showed. One resident explained it this way. That's where the phrase comes from. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Now that should concern us. How do we make sense of that? I'm convinced that for many who claim to follow Jesus, there is this decaying that's going on on the inside spiritually. Because we have no hope or our hope in this situation is gone and so we're decaying. It's just kind of falling apart on the inside. We don't know what to do about it and we still don't want to tell anybody about it because it makes us look weak. Hope can make all the difference. As you know, I'm surrounded by doctors in my life. Gotta love them. Right, Dr. John? Yeah. Some of them think they have all the answers. So do some pastors. Uh, I'm not one of those. My brother Rudy is not a believer. But he really has great compassion for people as a doctor. One of the things that just really, really confuses him in, in, in life he said, you know, John, I can have two people with identical symptoms, same age, same basic health. I put them both on the same treatment plan, and one lives and one dies. He said, I don't get that. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. For him, that makes no sense. But for me, oftentimes, the issue is hope. Medical science has proven that <laughs> when there is hope, there is healing, and there is health. When it's hopeless, everything just falls apart, and the wheels come off. Hope is so absolutely critical. Now, I believe God desires to bring a new sense of hope to this church. The church is made up by people. The people dwell in families, so hope has got to begin within each of your hearts, and then it's got to be for you together as a couple, and then for your family, then we will see a culture of hope developing in a different way in this church. I believe God says it's time. In order for that to happen, I need to ask the Lord to fill me with hope. So I ask you to look. I mean really look. Look beyond your circumstances. This thing that you're up against that causes hopelessness, beyond the calamity, beyond the storm, to Jesus who offers you hope now and a future to come. God is the source of hope. Jesus is the giver of hope. And he wants to give you hope. He delights to give it away from his Father who is the source of hope. 
And so we have to look at this honestly, really look at it. Would you choose to see your personal circumstances through the eyes of hope? That's a big grown-up decision. Would you choose to see your, your family, your life, your kids, your everything from God's perspective? Hope never disappoints. We're going to unpackage that one next week. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Who needs strength? Yeah, I do. I do. Life can be overwhelming at times. Just plain overwhelming. I want to soar with wings like eagles. I want to live my life like this, above the circumstances. That's what supernatural Christianity is all about. That's what we have to offer to others around us. Hope in the Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. I believe it. We must act on it. Will we choose to live it? That's the question. Will we choose to live it? Or will we be bound by our circumstances? By our physical limitations, by our financial limitations, by our marriage, by our parenting, by whatever it is you put it in there. We have a choice to make. And God is saying, I offer to you hope. Hope when it seems incredibly hopeless or uncertain or confusing. Jesus is here to give you hope. But we first have to give him our heart again right now and say, Lord, from my perspective, this thing is really, really hopeless. But I choose something different because my hope is in you, Lord. (laughs) Those who hope in the Lord Lord, he knew their strength. Oh, weary one, listen to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Aren't those precious words of that invitation? You will find rest for your soul. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, The hope dispenser is available to give you hope right now. Let's pray together. Just a moment of silence as you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus, maybe as your Savior, drawing you back to the hope that He offers. Listen, He's speaking.
Father, thank you. We're speaking into situations right now. I can sense the weariness and the pain and the heartache and the hopelessness. Yet beyond that, I hear your voice speaking truth over your people. That those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill that heart with hope. Fill that home with hope. Thank you that you are hope. And this hope will never disappoint us. So, Lord, have your way among us. And may we be people of hope. We need you to do this, Jesus. We don't want to fix ourselves or fix anyone else. We want you to fill us with your hope that never disappoints. We receive that now, even though we can't see it, because that's what makes it hope, because we believe. And our hope is in you. Thank you for speaking to us. And in these next weeks, as we wrestle through some things, I pray you'll soften our hearts and do it corporately as a church that we might welcome the King of Hope into this building and into our hearts. Set us free. And we'll thank you for this journey. In Jesus' name, and together all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. We will continue to worship the Lord in our giving. And I'm going to invite Jessica to come. And uh, sometimes when our financial people look at the books, uh, they need hope. And uh, we found God to be faithful, though, haven't we? That's a lesson you're learning, aren't you? Yes. Again and again and again. Again and again. I'm really proud of you. I want you to know that. Yeah, I really am, because you're growing, and you're seeing what God can do. Talk to us. Several years ago, um, it was normal for me to have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, because I didn't have hope. And I think if you were on the outside looking into my life, you would have thought things looked pretty good. But most people didn't know that I was dying on the inside. 
My marriage was a mess. I was lonely. I was depressed. I was bound by fear. And I felt trapped in a situation that I was afraid to leave. But I had no hope that things could get better. And then the best, most hope-filled words changed everything. But God. And don't get me wrong, that mess didn't go away overnight. In fact, it's, this is a good six years or more ago, and we're still learning, still forgiving, and still growing. And the crazy thing is that while we were busy making our life into a huge mess, we thought we knew Jesus. In fact, we probably did know Jesus on some level. But we had no idea that there was so much more. In fact, in just the last year and a half or so, um, we've both realized how much we knew in our heads, but we didn't really believe in our hearts. And we acted out of what our minds, or what what our hearts did not really believe. Does anybody remember PJ talking about Kairos moments? Well, the process of recognizing those Kairos moments and walking through them in community with our home group has been transformational. I want to give you an example. Um, One of my boys this last year played baseball for the first time. He played on the church softball team, an adult team. So this kid is an athlete, but he had never played baseball before. And so he was okay, but he wasn't great. He was still learning. And one day we were sitting in the stands, and he was in right field. And if you know anything about baseball, right field is where you put the people who do not know what they're doing. So he's out in the field, and the other team hit a fly ball, and it's going towards him. And we're sitting there holding our breath, just like, oh, God, don't let him just, like, don't let it hit him. Don't let him make a fool out of himself. Like, just... Please, please, God, help him. And he caught the ball. And that is such a small thing in a lot of ways, but we were like, yes, yes, he caught the ball. That is my boy. And at that moment, I felt God whisper to me, that is how I feel about you. And I had realized that I had this image of God in heaven waiting for me to fail and waiting to be disappointed in me. And and I lived under this guilt and shame that I couldn't measure up. And in that moment, when I realized that he was up in heaven rejoicing over me and loving me and offering me grace, it changed things. And so I want to encourage you that if you are feeling low on hope and if you're living with that kind of burden, it doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. I was in church almost my whole life and I didn't understand that foundational thing that I thought that I believed. So I want to offer you that that knowledge, that, that, that hope that God offers us grace. But there's another word that can stand in the way of that, and that word is pride. And if we had not been so proud, we wouldn't have struggled all those years because I didn't want to admit that my life wasn't what people thought it was. 
So if you're struggling, please ask for help. There's not, I wish I could tell you it's a quick fix. It's not a quick fix, and it's painful sometimes to work through those things and even just realize that that's what you're believing. But how much hope does that offer you that Jesus really can transform you here and now? It's not just hope for the future that one day we can go to heaven. We can live in that freedom today.